0: Good morning. It's good to be with you all. My name's Anthony. If I don't know you, I'm the pastor of Valley Hope. Uh, This morning, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 3 and 4. We're going to read both of these chapters, but don't worry. Chapter 4 is like six verses long. Start reading Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply all support of bread and all support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. And that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence." For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants, are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, your guides mislead you and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken His place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of His people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. The Lord said because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks glancing wantonly with their eyes mincing along as they go tinkling with their feet therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts and that day the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets the headbands the crescents the pendants the bracelets and the scarves the headdresses the armlets the sashes the perfume boxes and the amulets The signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. Instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty, she shall sit on the ground. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel." And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You would speak to us, that You don't just leave us out there stumbling around in the world, but You instead... Clearly lay out for us the things that we need to know about yourself, about us, in light of you, and how we ought to live. We pray that the eyes of our hearts would be open, the ears of our hearts would be open, that we would see and hear you this morning. Plug our ears and our eyes that we might not see and hear the things that are not of you. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. So we are here in the book of Isaiah. This is our third week here. And uh, this is a word of judgment on the people of Israel. This is not on other people. This is the people of Israel, the people of God. This is the people of judgment of uh, Judah and Jerusalem are receiving a word of judgment. And you can see how their society is about to be shaken up and disordered. That's what the first half of what we read is really all about. That God is going to make it so that the people of Judah and Jerusalem are going to be kind of swept away, and the disordering of society. So that he, he says that people who don't ordinarily lead the nation of Israel, they're going to be the ones. You have young boys, infants, and women occupying places that they should not ordinarily be. And that is a sign to them that their society is totally in disrepair. And what God wants them to know, this is not happening by happenstance. This is not happening because they've uh, expected it to be that way. This is not even happening freely without His direction. He is in fact bringing this to them so that they would receive correction and judgment for how they have lived. And He is exposing them for what... Uh, they have done in their hearts and with their lives. So what have they done that is so bad? Israel, Jerusalem, and Judah have worn their own sin on the outside of who they are and taken pride in it. This is the repeated imagery that this passage uses. So it says in verse 9, For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. So they, they have sin like every other person has sin, but instead of being ashamed of it, they don't even have the moral sense to be ashamed of what they've done. They put it on the outside. They make a show of it. And he gives further example of it. It says the daughters of Zion. This is verse sixteen. The daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks. Which don't think giraffes. Think like you know, walking. You know. You know what I mean. Like, I can't leave the mic, but braggy. That walking braggy. They're, they're doing the runway walk and showing off what they have. And it says the daughters of Zion are, are clothed in these riches. They, their, their anklets and their, their wrist, their bracelets, not wristlets. bracelets are, are tinkling in the air with all their jewelry and all their finery. They are bragging about what they have. All of the sin of Israel is on the outside. There is no shame in it at all at least if there was some shame, if there was some secrecy, they would at least acknowledge what they're doing is wrong, but instead they boast about it. They make much of it. And God says another sign of how bad things have gotten is that the people who are supposed to lead and shepherd Israel, who are supposed to protect the weak and the vulnerable, they have instead stolen and acted as acted as thieves from the poor. The the cows of the rich have grazed over the vineyards of the poor and the riches that are in their storehouses are from the people on their streets. And what does God say? Why do you grind the face of the poor? Why do you rub their face in their state? Morally, Israel is in disarray. And what God is saying is that He has reached the point with Israel where He will no longer allow this to continue. That the people who bear His name would continue to live this way. But instead, there will be disorder and disarray. And then ultimately, their city will come to ruin. So the image is that that so many men will die in battle that seven women will compete for one man. And they don't even want to be brought into their house and given nice things. They'll just say, look, we'll wear our own clothes. We'll eat our own food. Just let us be named in your household because we are alone. This is the ultimate end of where pride takes you. The pride of Israel took them to the desolation of Jerusalem to smoking ruin. And we are not meant to look back to the Old Testament and to think, man, I'm glad that's over with, you know? I'm glad that that doesn't happen anymore when you're prideful. The message is the same in the New Testament. Pride comes before a fall. God opposes proud people. Not just sort of passively lets them pass by, but actively opposes them. And that pride is not something that we left behind in Israel centuries ago. But it is a pride that is running through the center of every person's heart. It is the natural state of who we are. We are born that way to constantly believe that the world swirls around our own wants and desires and ambitions. And the scary thing is, is that it is not hard to imagine that we ourselves would be like these people of Jerusalem who strut around and boast and are self-seeking. In fact, what you have to realize as people today is that much of the world is constructed to teach you constantly to put yourself on display. Much Of the world is oriented for you to be looking for the camera. And I know that I'm saying this in front of a camera. I understand the irony of what I am saying. But we have to realize that we are living our life in front of cameras all the time, and it is not something that we object to. It is something that we delight in, that we organize our social lives, our free time around is putting ourselves on display. And you can say, well, I'm not doing the same things as the people of Jerusalem. Great. Super. Maybe. Probably not. But it's your own version. It's my own version. I, I shouldn't be so foolish as to think That I, too, do not put my sin on display. How many times do I justify my behavior? Do I justify my heart attitudes? Do I justify, justify, justify myself? My instinct and my inclination is to be in a work of constant self-justification for both my appetites and my actions. This is what is natural to us. And you, you have many opportunities to come into conflict with other people who are also engaged in the same work. So a lot of times our conflict with one another is when we are running into people who are also busy self-justifying. And we are very offended that they will not bow down to us. And they are mutually offended that we will not bow down to them. And much of relational disentanglement is to help everybody to say, look, maybe you're both kind of jerks here. And you should maybe both say you're sorry. That's much of our work together as we have conflict. It is our natural state to be like Israel. These are not the exceptions. They are proof of what goes on in ourselves. And it leads to ruin. Ruin it leads to ruin. If you constantly live in the cravings of your own self-justifying heart, those cravings will ultimately consume not just you, but all the people around you. Because pride is a voraciously hungry animal. And you, out of the habits of constant self-justification and self-glorification, and the same for everybody around you, will ruin the people around you slowly over time so that you too are ultimately left in a place like the people of Jerusalem where you are lonely, you are isolated, and you are ruined. And the scary thing is that if we read Isaiah chapter 3 carefully, we will hear God saying, I am doing this to you. I will let this happen to you. And if you just stop there, if you just stop and listen to Isaiah chapter 3, it just sounds like God is really angry with people, and He just wants to sort of beat them because He's so angry. But that is not the full message of this prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, it says, In that day... And the day when all of that ruin is happening because of your pride and your arrogance and your self-justification, in that very day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. Isaiah will use this language of the branch of the Lord repeatedly, we will see this image. And it's not just Isaiah. Jeremiah will talk this way as well. It's using, it's putting forward this idea that the, the tree of Israel is going to be cut down. But out of the stump, after this judgment, somehow, miraculously, there will be a branch that grows out, a replanting, a regrowing of the work of God in the world. That branch is used to speak of this figure in Israel who will come both to save and to redeem Israel. It is this messianic figure that they are supposed to be hungering for looking forward. And he says, in that very day, the branch of the Lord will be fruitful. There will be fruit on the tree. You might be desolate and empty and ruined, but the branch of the Lord has fruit for you. And when that day comes, you can come and live under the shade of the branch of Israel. And he uses this language from israel 's past, and when he says is, "On the, the whole of the mountain of Zion, there will be a cloud by day and fire by night, which is the language of Israel 's wanderings in the wilderness. And this time it's not just hovering over one spot in Jerusalem, over the temple, and it's not just over the tabernacle, it is over the whole mountain. Of the people of God. The place where previously we've seen that God is calling all people to run into. It is this massive explosion and extension of God's glory. It's this counter way of living. There is a way of death and a way of life being presented. The way of death is seeking your own ends. But there is another possibility where you might come find shelter under the very life of God and you might live in the way of life. In that very day when you are empty and ruined and devastated, in that very day, you might yet find fruitfulness in life. My friends, Isaiah was looking forward and we are looking backward to the same place on the top of Mount Zion. It is the place where Jesus was crucified. In Jesus' death, all of the devastation of our own pride and self-justification finds its ultimate ends in the murder of the Son of God. And on the death of Jesus Christ is the embrace of God of all of our death-seeking, self-justifying, devastation-generating, and Jesus embraces it with the arms of God and is Himself the branch of Israel crucified on the branch of a tree so that God Himself might wrestle our death down into the grave. If you are tired of the constant work of self-justification, the constant looking out of how you might buttress your own pride, if you are experiencing the consequences of constantly viewing the whole world through the lens of you as the most important person in the world, if you are tired of living your life in front of cameras to see how many people will like and justify your existence, if you are exhausted with this life of ruin and disorder and wanton pride that gives you no satisfaction, today that life can die. You do not have to live that way anymore. It is not God's delight to see you suffer and die in thirst eternally because you want to justify yourself. That is not God's delight in Isaiah chapter 3 or chapter 4. It is not God's delight in the whole of Scripture. It is your choice, the way of death and the way of life. He wants you to live He wants you to live in light of His own fruitfulness in life. And it does not matter how deeply you've gone down that hole. It does not matter how far down that road of death you have traveled. Today, the life of God extends to you. And to one, speak a word of judgment over that life. Do you hear that? That in Isaiah chapter 4 it says because of the judgment of God, the purging of God's fire, He will put that thing to death in you. He will wash clean the residents of Zion. He will cleanse the people of Zion so that you don't have to be entangled in that lifestyle anymore. He hates that thing that has hated you and killed you and buried you and self-seeking. He will kill that thing. He will judge that thing because He loves you and He hates that thing. And today, the affection of God, the love of God, can be poured out on you and all of its fullness. So no matter how barren you feel you are this morning, the fruitfulness of Jesus can overtake the desert of your soul. No matter how alone and isolated you are, the glory of God can hover over you like a canopy, a refuge a roof in the rain. You can be home with Him. There are before you two roads, the way of death and the way of life. And just as it was for Israel, so it is for you. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose today whether you will live or whether you will die. And come find your life in Jesus. Whether for the first time or the millionth time, He has enough fruitfulness for you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we freely confess that the people of Israel are not a long way off over there a long time ago. But we are one of them. That we ourselves strut about in a lifestyle of self-justification. We ourselves will enrich ourselves to the detriment of others. We too will grind the face of the poor if it betters us. We are not better than the people being spoken to. We are some of the people being spoken to. We confess it, Lord Jesus. We are sick of depending only on ourselves and being in a constant mission of justifying ourselves. We are tired. We are wasted and empty. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see You so clearly this morning, knowing that You made Zion to be our home and You made us ready for that home. That on the tree, the branch was hung. That we might come and enter into the glory of God. I pray, God, that we would be hungering for that thing, that we would look forward to the way of life and turn aside from the day of death, from the way of death. And Father, for all of those who are discouraged and ashamed, I pray that they would hear that that word is for them. If they might shake their finger and say, no, 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 if you only knew, that you would speak clearly to them and say, I do know, and it is for you. And for all of those, God, who are continuing even now to labor in this lifestyle of continuing on in a life of self-seeking, I pray that you would correct us, that you would have the mercy of judging that thing so that we might be freed and clean in your home. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Amen.